Amen. We're going to mess around and have church. Boy, I tell you what, it's just a, such a sweet spirit in this place this morning. Thank you all for um, choosing to worship, to lift up the Lord. The Bible says that when Jesus is lifted up, he'll draw all men into himself. And so every time we come together, we want to lift him up in everything we do. And uh, this morning you've done that through praise and worship. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord with you all. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number 5 is what I want to look at this morning. Um, as many of you know, a lot of us are reading through the book of Luke throughout the, book, the, the month of December. We started December 1st and there's 24 chapters in the book of Luke. And so we're doing a chapter a day. That way we're going to finish Luke right before Christmas time. We'll get done with it right in time for Christmas. And um, it's already been such a great blessing to me. And yesterday I got to uh, December 5th, which would be Luke chapter 5 if I'm reading a chapter a day. And the Lord just really spoke something to my heart that was a blessing to me. And this morning, I've got to share it with you. Now, I know that last week I told you I was going to be preaching through the month of December um, a different message each week on the Christmas story. And that's still my plan. I'm still going to finish that up. But I just felt the Lord lead in a different direction. And so today what I want to do is mind Him. I just want to, uh, as God leads, I want to follow. And so I want to share with you what He shared with me concerning Luke chapter number 5. I want to preach to you today on the subject of the master and the miracle. The master and the miracle. Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. I want to read them for you. I'm going to pray uh, for us all, for um, God to have his way and will in this service. And then we'll come back and unpack this as far as we can. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret, and two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering, and said unto him, Master, we have told all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Watch this. O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. Verse, five, verse 10, and was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this good day. I'm thankful, Father, that you've allowed us this great privilege and opportunity of meeting together as your people to hear your truth, to hear your word. Lord, we know that we can do nothing. We know that apart from you, the work won't get done. Lives won't be changed. 
the message will not go forth as it needs to go forth. So, Lord, I'm asking you to move me out of the way. It's not about me, Lord. It's all about you. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me up and pour me out today in the hearts and lives of these people. Share your truth to me and through me so that your will might be accomplished, so that lives might be changed, so that souls might be saved, so that addictions might be broken, so that families might be healed. Lord, I'm praying that you do the work today that only you are capable of doing. We're asking, Lord, that you be honored and glorified with everything that happens. We're praying that you bless this service, and if there be one here that don't know you, may today be the day they trust in you. God, we're asking for you to do the work, and Lord, we want to pray and thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and Lord, we're asking this morning, you show us the master in this, in this scripture, and you show us this miracle that is true for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's four things that I want to show you this morning in Luke chapter number five. First of all, I want you to see the standing of Jesus, and then we're going to see the seeing of Jesus, then we're going to see the speaking of Jesus, and then we're going to see the sinking of the boat. So number one, let's look at the standing of Jesus. Look what the Bible says, Luke chapter five in the first verse. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Now take note of what's being said there. The Bible set tells us that the people pressed him. That means he's standing there on the seashore and he's preaching about the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here is God preaching the word of God unto people. And Jesus standing on the seashore, the people began to press around him. They were getting so close to him that they were about to push him out into the sea. Now let me tell you what that tells me about the crowd that's standing around Jesus right here in Luke chapter 5. Number one, they are desperate to hear the word of God. They understand and realize that the words Jesus is speaking is the word of God himself. Number two, they're desperate for the presence of God. They want to be as close to the Lord as they can possibly be. Now, when you've got people that are desperate for the word of God, and you've got people that are desperate for the presence of God, then you can expect God to do miracles that only God can do. You can expect for God to do a work that only God is capable of. So let me encourage you to do something. When you come together as the people of God, I'm asking that you come with desperation. I'm asking that you come with a hunger for God's truth. Being desperate to experience and encounter God's presence. Folks, let's never just come and go through the motion. Let's never just come and fulfill an obligation. Let's come ready to experience who God is. To hear what God has said. To apply it unto our lives by faith. And allow God the Holy Spirit to do a work on us, in us, and through us that only He can do. That's what we got to do. These people were desperate for the Word and they were desperate for the presence of God. The Bible says that those who are desperate for the Lord, uh, folks, He's not hiding from you. He's ready to meet you right where you are. The psalmist said He's tasted and He's seen that the Lord is good. And God is inviting you today to taste and see just how good God is. 
Be desperate for him. These people were so desperate, they were about to push Jesus out into the sea. And the Bible says he stood there by the lake of Genesaret, or otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee. So he's standing on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's the first thing that I want you to notice. You have to say, well, brothers, why is it important that we notice the standing of Jesus? Well, to get a hold of that, we've got to know just who's standing there and what he's standing on. If you go back to Genesis chapter number 1, you can keep your place there in Luke chapter 5. Write these scriptures down. You can go back and check them out later. But in Genesis chapter number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you believe it today, say amen. See, the world looks created because it has a creator. The world looks designed because it has a designer. The world is not, did not come here by happenstance. This universe has not happened out of random chance. The, listen, God who had a plan for us created this world. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning when there was nothing, God created everything. In the beginning, God created the heaven. And he created the earth. Now look down at verse number uh, six through nine. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters, which were the firmament from the waters, which were above the firmament. And it was so. So he made the air that we breathe, the water vapor above, and he separated that from the waters below, the seas themselves. Verse eight says, and God called the firmament heaven and the, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Look at verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so. So let me ask you something. Who was it that told the seas they could only come so far? Who, who was it that said the dry land's going to be here and the sea is going to be here? God answers that question in the book of Genesis, but the Bible also tells us in the book of Job, chapter number 38 and verse number 11, Job has really gotten too big for his britches. He's been going through some things in his life, and he begins to question God. And he says, God, why are you letting all this stuff happen to me? Have I not been faithful? Have I not looked to you? Have I not served you? And so finally, God answers Job back, and this is what he says, Job, where were you when I told the oceans, the waves? They could come so far. Where were you when I separated the seas from the dry land? You say, Roger, what does that have to do with Luke chapter 5? It has everything to do with it. Because in Luke chapter number 5, you have the God of all creation standing by the sea of Galilee. The God who stood on nothing and created everything is now standing on that which he created. And he's standing there in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a good Christmas verse. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 23. If you go over there and look, you're going to find that Gabriel was speaking to uh, Joseph in a dream. Mary's uh, soon-to-be husband. He was, a, he was a, a engaged to Mary to be married. And in Matthew 1.23, God sends Gabriel to speak to Joseph about all that's fixing to take place. And he said, there's going to be a virgin that will give uh, a birth to a son, and they shall call his name. Watch this. Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. See, what you need to understand about the Christmas story, what you need to understand about this season that we're entering into, it's more than just a baby born in a manger. It's about God becoming a man to do for men what men cannot do for themselves. 
It's about God coming into creation and dwelling upon and with the ones He created. He, he dwelt upon the earth. And He came to dwell with mankind. And that's an amazing thing. Man, it's such a powerful thing. Don't miss that. And so when we see Jesus there on the Sea of Galilee, there on the seashore, we see God incarnate in the flesh. See, that's what we believe. We believe that God became a man in the person of His Son. We, we believe that God came to do for us what we couldn't do. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas season. I love Dr. Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll says that we need to get serious about Christmas time. Because it's at Christmas time that God interjected His presence among men. Emmanuel, God is with us. Heard a story, a legend that was told years ago about Satan and his demons having a Christmas party. And one of the demons slithers up to Satan and he says, Merry Christmas, Majesty. And Satan looks back at the demon and he said, Yeah, let's keep it merry, for if they ever get serious about this thing, we're all in trouble. And he's right. We need to get serious about what Christmas really means. And Christmas means God became a man to do for us what we couldn't do. God became a man to show us truly who He is. See, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to show us the Father. Do you understand it? Look in Matthew, or John chapter 14 with me. One of our favorite scriptures. We all have heard this many times and rightly so. Many of you have committed it to memory. But John chapter 14 verse number 6. Jesus said this. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And, when he, and, and if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now Philip asked a very good question that I'm glad he asked because it clears a whole lot of stuff up. Philip said in verse number 8, Lord, show us the Father and we it'll, it'll uh, suffice us. It'll satisfy us. Look at verse 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Watch what he tells us. He that hath seen me has seen the Father. So if you ever hear anybody say that Jesus never claimed to be deity, that he never claimed to be God, then you read for him John chapter 14 and verse number 9. I could give you a whole lot of other scriptures too, but this one is a really good one. He says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Why did Jesus come? Why was he incarnate in the flesh? So that we might understand and realize truly who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all one God who reveals Himself in three distinct personalities. God showed us who He is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He's telling Philip. And that's what He's telling us. So what you have there where Jesus, what Jesus is standing on is the very sand that He spoke into existence. See, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse number 1, when speaking of the Lord, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and John uses the word 
word to describe Jesus. So we can actually put Jesus there. In the beginning was the word or was Jesus. And Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God the Father. Jesus was God. Look at verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. All things were made by who? By the Lord himself, by Jesus himself. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. See, what you need to understand is Jesus didn't just become God when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. He's always been God even before the beginning. And it was by Jesus all things were made. So now you have, again, the God who stood on nothing and created everything. Now he's standing on the seashore. It's important for us to see God became a man to show us truly who he is so that we could relate to him. So that we could have relationship with him. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know the Father, the only way you're going to know him is through the person of the Son. He's the only way. That's why he came. Not only did he come to show us the Father, but he came to fix our mess. Charles Johnson, the Revivers, are one of my favorite Southern Gospel groups. I can remember something he said actually on a Christmas album that they did many years ago. Charles Johnson said that God looked down from heaven upon this earth and he saw a mess. And he decided the only way that our mess could be fixed is if he came and fixed it. So he came in the person of his son to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, when speaking of the Lord Jesus and his work for each and every one of us, he says, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It was because of the finished work of Christ, his perfect birth, his perfect life, his sacrificial death and his resurrection, that now we have redemption because of the blood he shed for us. So, Jesus came in flesh like me and you. God incarnate. Again, to do for us what we couldn't do. You need to see what he's standing on. That's very powerful when you've got the God of all creation standing upon his creation. But you also need to see where he's standing. That's a big deal. Let me tell you why. Because it's on the Sea of Galilee that a lot of the ministry that Jesus did actually happened. And it was through the ministry that Jesus did that it proves who he is. See, it was on the Sea of Galilee that Jesus calmed the sea. Go back and read for me, please. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And you're going to find the incident of when Jesus and his disciples were out there on the Sea of Galilee and a storm blew up. And the disciples got afraid. They thought they were about to drown. Jesus was asleep. And the Bible says in the hinder part of the ship, he is asleep on the pillow. And the disciples all came running to him and said, Lord, do you not care that we're about to perish? Let me ask you something. Have you ever been in those places in your life where you wonder, does anybody care whether or not I'm about to perish? I'm about to go under? Well, that's where the disciples were. The Bible says that Jesus got up from the place he was sleeping, walked up to the top of the boat and said, Peace be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed. That was on the Sea of Galilee. Not only did Jesus calm 
the raging sea in Mark chapter 4, but you'll also see in, in the book of Matthew, I think it's chapter number 14, where Jesus walked on the water going to his disciples, the Bible says, in the fourth watch of the night. It was there in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, that the disciples saw when the waves are over our head, folks, they're under his feet. When things get too big for us to handle, when life gets too big for us to, to deal with, Jesus comes walking on the waves. He calmed the storm in Mark 4. He walked on the water in Matthew 14. It was by the Sea of Galilee that he healed the sick. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 53. It was by the Sea of Galilee that he cast out demons and the demoniac of the Gadarenes. You remember that in Mark chapter 5. It was by the Sea of Galilee that he fed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children, in John chapter 6. It was by the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 11 that Jesus raised up Lazarus. Now listen. If Jesus has authority over the wind and the waves, the natural world, and if Jesus has authority, power over sickness and disease, and Jesus has power and authority, not over that which is natural, but also that which is spiritual, and he can cast out demonic spirits. If he has authority and power over that, if he has authority and power over death itself, so that he could raise up Lazarus, then what's that tell us about Jesus? All of that is stuff that God can do. All of that is only stuff God can do. So the ministry that was done on the Sea of Galilee and around the Sea of Galilee shows us all exactly who Jesus is. How many of y'all know he ain't changed? The Bible says, Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. He still raises up dead people from sin, sickness, and spiritual deadness. He still heals sick people. Can you say amen? He's still able to do what he's always done. What a blessing. How good it is to know this Jesus. You need to see his standing, not only what he's standing on, but where he is standing, because that makes all the difference. But I also want you to see the seeing of Jesus. Watch this, Luke chapter 5. Go back there with me. Look at verse number 2. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, and the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So listen, Jesus saw an opportunity to speak to more people concerning the kingdom. Amen? He, 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 he was about to be pushed out into the water where he was standing because all the people were huddling around him. And he thought, you know what? More people could gather around and I could speak to all of them more effectively if I get out in the boat. This is an opportunity to share to more people about the goodness of God. Now listen to me, folks. Dr. J. Vernon McGee always said that every pulpit is simply a fishing boat trying to catch more men. I agree with that. Why do we teach the lessons we teach in Sunday school? And why do we preach the lessons we preach 
the Word of God in worship services like this. Why do we have small group studies and Wednesday night Bible studies? Why do we do that? Because we want to preach to more. We want to seize the opportunity to share with as many as we can the life-changing message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do community outreaches like vacation Bible school and fall festivals? And, and why do we go on mission trips like we go on to Cuba or to Macon, Georgia, or to Louisville, Kentucky? What, why do we do these things? Because we want to preach to as many people as we can possibly preach to. But the life-changing power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to seize the opportunity, see the opportunity, just like Jesus did, to share with more. Now don't get me wrong. Hey, I want more. I don't know about you, but I get sick of empty pews. Amen? Right, let's, let's do our best to fill the empty pews. I get sick of empty pews. I understand and realize that it's not about numbers. You can have a fantastic church, a spirit-led church, a cross-centered church, a spirit-filled church with 20 people. But I also realize you can have a cross-centered, spirit-led Gospel-driven church with 200 people. You have a spirit-led, Christ-centered, gospel-focused church with 2,000 people. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have 200 than 20. And I'd rather have 2,000 than 200. I'm just saying, listen, we want to share with as many people as we can because the same gospel that has changed my life can change their life. We're offering hope to a lost and dying world. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. We see these opportunities and we take advantage of them. Jesus got into the boat so he could share with more. Praise the Lord. Let's, let us keep sharing with more. Not just in this place. Not just inside the four walls of this building. But inside the four walls of your home. Inside the walls of your workplace. Inside the walls of your school. Take the gospel to as many people as you can. That's why we do what we do. Because that's why he did what he did. Amen. Notice the standing of Jesus and the seeing of Jesus. But you've got to see the speaking of Jesus. The Bible says he sat down and taught the people there. Out of the boat. Now again, this is powerful when you think about it. Here you have the living word preaching the written word. Here you have God incarnate in the flesh. Sharing the truth of the scripture you're holding in your hand. It's an amazing thing. There's power in the word of God. I'm going to tell you something. God's word works when you work it. Are you hearing me? Let me give you two verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Now listen to me, husbands. You know God's word works when you work it. You want a good marriage? You want to be the husband God wants you to be and your wife needs you to be? God's word works when you work it. Listen to me, wives. God's word works when you work it. Parents, God's word works when you work it. Children, God's word works when you work it. Employees, employers, God's word works when you work it. Pastors, teachers, laymen, God's word works when you work it. You've got to take hold of the word of God and work it out in your life. Apply it to yourself and live like God's telling the truth. That's when it works. 
Look, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, watch this now, and it's profitable for doctrine. If you believe it, say amen. Doctrine is what we believe and why we believe it. We base what we believe, why we believe it, upon the truth of Scripture. Then it says for reproof. Now reproof, that lets you know what you're doing wrong. And then it says for correction. That tells you how to do right. And then it says for instruction. All of that is for instruction in righteousness so that you might live a life pleasing unto the Lord. That's what the Word of God does. Go with me to the book of James. James chapter number 1. And verse number 22. It says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What I'm saying is, you can't just hear it, you've got to then put into practice what you've heard. I'm glad all y'all here this morning. I'm thankful you are. Listen, I, I want you to come back each and every time that we join together to, to, to lift up the Lord, to worship Him, to learn of Him. That's a good thing. But now, listen to me, folks. It's got to be more than just what happens in here. Y'all know that, don't you? See, what we do in here must impact how we live out there or what we've done in here really ain't made that much difference. What we learn in here has to impact what we do out there. What we teach and preach about in here has to impact what we do or else all we have is a pep rally. Now I'm all for pep rallies. But we've got to learn to go play the game. We must. We must. So... James says, don't be just hearers of the word, but then be doers also. See, the speaking of Jesus, he's giving the word of God. There's power, folks, in the word of God. But then I want you to see, not only the, the standing of Jesus and the seeing of Jesus and the speaking of Jesus, but see the sinking of the boats. Look at Luke chapter 5. Down at verse number 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have told all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship, that they would come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. How many of y'all like to fish? Me too. I love fishing. Enjoy it. Let me ask you fishermen something. What is the greatest blessing as a fisherman you can receive? I'd say a good catch, yeah. I'd say a lot of big fish. <laughs> right? Well, that's exactly what the Lord does for Peter and all of his partners right here in Luke chapter 5. He gives them a great blessing, a miracle so much so that both boats were about to sink from the fish they caught. Isn't that amazing? But now we got to see how all this took place. The miracle came after they heard the word and heeded the word. The Bible says, first Jesus tells Peter, get out into the deep and let down your nets. And studying for this message, I found out in the Sea of Galilee, it was in the, at nighttime, everybody knew who were fishermen. 
that at night you fished shallow and caught fish. In the day, when the sun came up and it got hot, you would fish deep for the fish. But here, or excuse me, that's vice versa. Here, um, in, in verse number 5, he said, We told all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And the night you fish shallow, and the day you fish deep. But, but now watch, verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes that their net break. What I'm trying to tell you is, everything that Jesus was telling Peter went against what he knew to be right as a fisherman. So what he's having to do is take by faith the word of the Lord and apply it to himself. Now listen to me, church. If we're going to receive all that God has for us collectively as a body of Christ and also individually in our own personal lives, we've got to take by faith what God has said, apply it unto ourselves, act like God's telling the truth. And this, listen to me now. We can experience the best God has for us. Isn't that what you want? Let me ask you this. How many of y'all want God's blessing? I don't know, I don't, I'm not ashamed of that. I don't apologize for that. I want God's blessing in every area of my life. In my family, I want God's blessing. Amen? In my finances, I want God's blessing. Amen? Hey, listen to me, folks. In everything I do, in my ministry, in, in, in my church, at, at my workplace, everywhere I am, in every sphere of life, I want the blessing, the grace, and favor of God to be upon me and mine. I want that. I don't want to miss out on God's best for me. I'm going to tell you this. If Peter had not chosen to trust by faith in the word of the Lord, he's going home empty-handed without any fish. But when he chose to trust in what Jesus said, apply it to his life, you saw the sinking of the boat. So many fish that both boats began to sink. Isn't that amazing? If you want God's blessing, you've got to do it God's way. Young people, if you want God's blessing, you've got to do it God's way. Old people, if you want God's blessing, you've got to do it God's way. Whoever you are, don't miss out on God's best because you don't take to heart God's word and apply it to your life. I'm so thankful that we have a master who is still in the miracle working business. Now what you need maybe looks different than what I need or what I'm praying for maybe look different than what you're praying for, but how do you know God is able to meet my need and your need? God is able to do what's necessary according to his will to accomplish his purpose. And that's what I want. And if that's what you want, the Bible gives us clear direction right here in Luke chapter 5 how we get to that. Amen? Amen? Let me tell you what I want to do today. The Bible says that when Peter saw what just happened, I mean, you got to think about it. I, I fish for fun. Peter fished for a living. If you're going to fish for a living, you better know about fishing. And a man who had fished all his life on the Sea of Galilee had fished all night, caught nothing. Not because he didn't know how to fish, but because God was about to do a work that only God can do and Peter needed to see it. 
Amen. And so in the morning, after he had fished all night, Jesus said, let down your nets. And, it, and when Peter saw this great multitude of fish, he could not believe it. He knew God had did something that only God could do. And, and, and you know what Peter does then? The Bible says he fell down at Jesus' knees. And he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. When you get in the presence of God, and you get a hold of the truth of the word of God, let me tell you what always happens for me. God brings conviction to my heart. And the Holy Spirit of God will start putting his finger on things in my life that I know don't need to be there. Now, there's some of you here this morning who's never, never yet trusted in Jesus. You've never been born again. Guess what? Maybe the Holy Spirit of God is right now drawing you unto himself. Maybe right now he's giving you that tugging at your heart. And you know today is the day you need to trust in Jesus. Just last Wednesday night, I had a young man in my office. I'm telling you what, I saw God get a hold of him. And I saw the Lord break his heart. And you talking about having revival all week long because of what I saw God do in that young man. It was amazing. Powerful. I love to see that. Listen, what God did for that young man Wednesday night, he can do for you right here this morning. If he's dealing with your heart, if you come to that place where you realize, man, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus, that's what Peter's doing. That same Jesus is still able to change your life. I'm telling you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have been born again, but the Holy Spirit of God, even as we've been speaking, has just been putting his finger on those little things. Things that you know are not pleasing unto the Lord. Things that you know are hindering you from being all that God wants you to be and doing all God wants you to do. I don't want to be a hindrance. How about you? I want to be a help. And so, child of God, if you're being convicted this morning over some things that are hindering you from being all God saved you to be, then why not do just what Peter did? Just fall down before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you in this area. God, I need you to take care of this in my life. I ask you to forgive me of this sin or that sin because the Bible says if we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the God of first chances. Can you say amen? He's got a second chances. He's got a third chances. And so I don't care who you are. I don't care what's going on in your life. The grace of God is available for you. Today, if God's dealing with your heart, won't you come? Man, I'd love to pray with you. It's my privilege to pray with you and pray for you. If you need to be saved, I want you to come and let me pray with you and pray for you. And I, I can't save you. And again, walking this aisle don't save you. Don't come into this altar don't save you. But when you... See what God's word says about biblical salvation. Repentance. Faith in Jesus. That's what saves you. I want to show you how that's possible. I'm telling you, God's able this morning. God's got you here for a reason this morning. I don't know what that is, but you know. He knows. You act in accordance to his will. What God's leading you to do, you do it. 
Maybe you want to come pray for a lost loved one. Maybe you want to come pray for your church. Maybe you want to come pray for your pastor. I tell you all the time, y'all need to pray. Y'all need to practice, and I need to pray. And hey, listen, pray for one another. Whatever God's put on your heart this morning, won't you come? This altar's always open. Everybody stand together.